Leadership. All my life, I've been fascinated by what makes a good leader. Are good leaders born or made? Can leadership be taught? How do leaders lead if people don't trust to even listen? I grew up in Arkansas. Now I live and work in the innovation heartland of Northern California. During these last years of constant crisis, I've thought more deeply about what leadership is and what it takes to lead people, especially when trust is in limited supply. That's why I decided to create this podcast and reach out to changemakers from different disciplines to hear what they have to say. As the host of this show, the most important things I can do are two things I learned in medical school to ask good questions and then listen. Hello, I'm Lloyd Miner, Dean of the Stanford School of Medicine, and welcome back to the Miner Consult. I'm delighted to introduce one of America's most quotable political consultants. James Carville brings a wealth of firsthand experience with U.S. presidents and world leaders facing difficult decisions. He also coined the phrase, it's the economy, stupid, and helped put Bill Clinton in the White House. He's a frequent contributor on cable news, and he's not shy to criticize politicians of all stripes. He's the author and co-author of a number of books on politics. In 2020, he launched his own podcast with journalist Al Hunt called Politics War Room. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Minor Consult, James. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. It's a big, it's a big honor. Oh, well, it's, it's an, an, honor, big to, honor. It's an honor to have you. Yeah. It really is. Well, what did leaders do right in this crisis, and what did they get wrong? So, so first, I want to start with a, our paths have actually intersected. Yeah. All right. Uh, my nephew is married to Michael Shepard's daughter, okay. who is on your board and is, was yes. very prominent San Francisco banker. And my brother-in-law has a condition that you probably know more about than anybody in the world called Meniere's disease. And so it, Michael Collin, you were going to, humility is part of what I think makes a great leader. So you said, I, I, let, let me talk to him on the phone. And you asked him who was treating him down here. And he told you, Dr. Ariaga. He said, well, stop. You don't need to come out here. All right. You get, you're getting as good a treatment as it. it so many people are, are believe, believe that, you know, it, it's true a lot of people in medicine. Well, there's nobody that is as good as I am. And you said this one ENT guy in Louisiana, you, you're, getting, you're getting world-class treatment. And thank, thankfully, he's doing really well with, with, that, with, with that disease. So we did have a, a point of contact here. You actually talked to my brother-in-law and my sister, and, you know, gave them great assurances that they were getting world-class medical care down here. <laughs> Well, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad he's doing well. And um, uh, that's one of the things that has brought me fulfillment and joy in, um, in my career has been able to interact with people from all over and, and hopefully help people. Uh, so what humility right. being a very important quality for, for leaders always, but particularly in a time of such great uncertainty and crisis, what, what other attributes do you think are particularly important for a leader during COVID or other crises? Well, if I go to, to to one aspect of the COVID thing, this always struck me. They call it the novel coronavirus. That doesn't mean that William Faulkner wrote it. It means that it's novel, and we've not faced anything like this before. Sure. And if I if I had a critique, 
it, it would have been to just say, look, we're kind of learning as we go. Because it had said, well, mask and no, yes, yes, mask. And, and it, 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 of course, the, the people I, I don't know, I think are nuts. I mean, I can't, I can't get started on this anti-vaccine stuff. It just, it just drives me nuts. But I, I, I think it, one of the lessons we learned is, is that if you're going to be learning on the fly, you have to tell people we're learning on the fly. It will give you the best evidence we have right now. That's a really important point. Communication really has become stratified, hasn't it? And how how then can those of us in in science and medicine, other uh, you know aspects of academia, how can we be more effective communicators to everyone, not just people who happen to share some elements of our background right. or our, our expertise? So I, I would say you have to make yourself available, where. People, you know, you have to be a little bit of a missionary. You have to go where the heathens are. All right? It's a kind of old expression up back in Arkansas. You don't need to preach to the choir. So, you know, your position, you get a lot of requests. And, of course, everybody wants you to do all things considered. Uh, Everybody wants you to do, uh, you know, the jammer or whatever it is. All right? And that's fine. But also be cognizant of people that, that don't have the message that you're trying to convey. That that's would be my advice. You know, many crises in America brought our people together. Uh, you think of back to World War II, we think uh, about uh, the horrible tragedy of 9-11. Uh, COVID has not brought us together. Right. It's, it's, if anything, it seems like it's underscored our deep divisions. You're a student of history. Uh, how do you place COVID in the perspective of other crises? What's different? And what about the political landscape today might have undergirded that difference in, in the response of our nation? Uh, well, that, that, that's, that's the money question, <laughs> all right? And I, I'm sickened by it. I mean, it, I, but it, you know, it doesn't do any good to curse the darkness. And this has really been dark. I, mean, I think people's behavior has been, you know, reprehensible. Uh, and, you know, this, this sort of skepticism, this, you get it all the time. You know, it's, it's just the resistance. The people that are telling you to be vaccinated and, and coastal elites have certainly had something to do with this. You know, and they've built up an entire, and of course I'm, I'm very much against this political jargon. My, my favorite new thing is Peter people say, don't call it the bullpen anymore because it's insult the cows, call it the armpen. I mean, that's not a battle we need to be fighting, okay? <laughs> but, um, you know, I think like, like, like you taught me, first a little humility would probably go a long way. Yeah. And then uh, a, a rhetorical device to say, I understand your skepticism at first, and then some reassurance that this had been in the, in the pipeline for a long time. This was just not something that they just started working on. Understood. You know, a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, it, and you, you have to have limited objectives, because if you try to do too many things, you do nothing. Yeah. And at any time that... that if I were you, my first advice to you doing an interview is right up front, I grew up in Arkansas. Yeah. That will give you more of an entry point 
to the people that you need to reach. To reach now, some of the people in Palo Alto would say, "Well, I just hey, seed get here. That's fine. They they all got the message. Okay, <laughs> that that was important is to carve your carve who you, what you who you're trying to reach and what you're trying to reach them with. Understood. You you've spoken about vaccine hesitancy and how to more effectively deliver a message about the importance of vaccination. What are your perspectives on the anti-masking movement and uh, uh, and how did that arise and where do you see it going and how do you fit it into the overall political landscape in the country today? The anti-masking thing, I understand. All right, I wear two masks. <laughs> I don't wear one. I got three vaccines. I don't get two. <laughs> All right. And, uh, you know, I'm here in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. It, it's Closer, it's more like New Orleans. It would be called Hancock, the 65th Parish. And, and of course, all of the people you see wearing a mask are well-dressed and older. But a mask has a political connotation, where a vaccine, no one knows whether you get the vaccine or not. All right? But and, and for some reason, masks have become, uh, it's like having a bumper sticker. All right? It's, it's part of, it, it, it's kind of something that you communicate. It's a symbol. Now, I don't really care. <laughs> and if you notice, whenever I'm here, I wear the mask and I wear my Marine Corps hat because they'll leave me alone. All right. And I've, I mean, I have people come to me and say, you know, that stuff is fake. I say, well, actually, I don't. <laughs> but okay. But, but that's the difference between the mask and the vaccine is you can sneak in and get a vaccine. I think we've lost the mass battle. Of course, personally, we're not going to we're going to keep wearing a mask. But if I had, I think it's a much better chance to convince people on the vaccine front than the mask front. Could mask recommendations have been handled differently in such a way that it didn't become a polarizing political issue, or was that just inevitable that it was going to happen? You know, it wasn't just Dr. Fauci. At the beginning, there was some. It, we were told that masks didn't protect you, but they protected your neighbor. And there was some confusion. There really was. Yep. And then they said, you don't have to wear a mask. And then after they said, well, we had a limited supply of masks, so we didn't want people gobbling up the supply because essential workers needed the supply. It was, again, and I'm a big defender and big believer in, in, in what, a lot of public health has done. Uh, it, they probably would be to be better off to say there's some conflicting evidence about masks. We suspect we're going to learn a lot fast and we'll, we'll keep updating guidance as we get it. But that they were, and, and again, humility in something like this but it, but it goes a long way. It really does. It, it's, we don't know. It's novel. It's new. It's it's you you you, you, you and and you know, I tell people. I go to the doctor. You know, I'm older. They never ask you. Do you have? Did you ever have the flu or a cold? All right. Yeah. If somebody is 25, my daughter is, you know, she's she's 25. When she's 55, when she goes in for to see the doctor, they're gonna ask, Have you ever had COVID? Because that. We don't know the long-term. We know the long-term ramifications of a cold or a negligible. We know the long-term impact of 
you know, most flu viruses are negligible. We don't know that about this. Right. And you don't know if you get this, and it's going to be a, a gazillion studies that are going to come out in the future. It, it, so, you know, that, that's the other thing I tell people. E- even if you get it and you don't even get that sick, you don't, you don't know what it means to you, to you 20 years down the road. And no one can tell you that because they don't know. But it's not a certainty that this is not something impactful in your future health. I think, I mean, you're the physician here, but does that make sense to you? Sure. No, it does. It's, uh, as you said at the beginning, uh, uh, the novel coronavirus doesn't mean that it's a William Faulkner novel. So, right. Exactly. So, and I wish we'd have come up with a better name than novel. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> As you think about your own leadership style, who's influenced you the most? And either from history or, or your own life, where have you found uh, influential people or, so, or topics? I've just become a much bigger admirer of General Grant. I read all the biographies. Actually, the Grant Library is at Mississippi State. Most people don't know that. And the guy that runs it, John Maserak, is just a, a prince of a, a man. But and Grant... As Sherman said, he didn't. He did. He, I know. I knew more about logistics than Grant did. I was smarter than Grant. I knew more about tactics. I knew more about fortifications. But Grant had one thing. He did, he didn't care what the enemy did. He wasn't paralyzed by fear. Right. He just had something, and he went ahead with it, and you know, proved, in my opinion, a lot of people think the most significant military leader in the history of the country. But it, I think that would. I take that a lot. That you have a vision, all right. And, and you, to, to the extent you can, if you think your vision is correct, you got to stick with it. And you know, some things are going to go off track every now and then. And when people see that kind of tenacity, they they really they really follow you. When they see indecision, then they they feel it. People sense. You know, when you're leading to something like. Stanford Medical School, they can sense when somebody is not decisive. They can sense that we're not on plan here, whatever. It, and it doesn't matter. It can be the you know, lowest kind of organizational form. It, you know, it can be a supper club, but just people sense that. They, they can sense, you know, and sometimes it's just decisiveness and tenacity and, and humility, and, and, and they're not at conflict. You, you can be decisive and humble at the same time. It's not an either-or proposition. Very, very well stated. How, how do those attributes translate into the immediacy of the world we lived in today, you know, social media and, and the fact that stories can uh, become viral, um, you know, irrespective of their accuracy, um, in a matter of minutes to hours. And and the, the dilemma that leaders face of responding to the issue of the moment uh, versus the broader issues and topics that are going to have, you know, the most impact and that require the most tenacity. Well, as you're advising leaders, how do you, uh, because I'm sure people you advise uh, deal with, you know, every day the issues like this or, or multiple times a day, uh, how do you advise leaders to keep their perspectives in 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 the immediacy of a social media dominated world? Well, first of all, 
effect it's going to have in the short term is, frankly, you're not going to turn it around. So yep. let, let's discard that. And, and what has happened is is that people use social media in, in the way that a drunk uses a lamppost for support, not illumination. And they go there because everybody agrees with them. Yep. Right? And and so if, if I have any kind of arcane worldview, I can go find a thousand people that are going to tell me that my view is right. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know how you stop it. I tell people, you know, Lyndon Johnson said, I lost Walter Cronkite, I lost the war. Well, if you lose Wolf Blitzer, you don't lose anything. It's not Wolf's fault. We don't have a Walter Cronkite in this country that we all say, well, damn, Walter Cronkite says the war's a bad idea, so it must be a bad idea. <laughs> we have 80,000 Walter Cronkites in the country now. And I, I, I wish I had better counsel other than to say people like yourself and people that listen to your podcast actually do have more influence than the average person and try to use this influence in the best way you can to give people the right information and unite them and you're probably not going to succeed very quickly and understand that as you you march into this battle but to not try is you just couldn't live with yourself if you did. Absolutely. What's the biggest mistake of your career, and what did you learn from it? Oh, man. I, I mean, when I started, I, I, I thought I was smart. I quickly discovered that, that I, I was not that smart. Um, you know, I just, I think that I, I I had an exaggerated opinion of myself and my charm. And, I, you know, I got my brains beat in, in early in my career. But I, I, the only strength I think I had is that, that I, I did learn from defeat. And I, you know, it used to laugh at me because I'd have an idea and then we'd pull it and the idea would come out not very good and I'd change my mind. And I'm like, John Maynard Kane says, well, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? <laughs> it's so, uh, I, I think I was kind of a little bit arrogant and inflexible. And, but to my credit, I, I, I saw it, that, that that wasn't getting me very far in the world. <laughs> sure. And that I really wasn't near as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> so I, I used to tell my students, if you're the smartest person in the room, get the hell out of the room. There's nothing in there for you. What's more important, having questions or having answers? And how do you advise oh, uh, leaders by, on that topic? By far questions. Absolutely. That, yeah. that, that's in, in polling. I just tell people, this, you know, if, 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 if I go see you and you say, you know, James, I think you're going to drop dead in eight months. And I drop dead. You said, well, that guy's a really good doctor. He told me I was going to drop dead, and I dropped dead. Now, if you say, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, I think he can live eight more years. Right? So, so when a poster comes in and, and everybody is, is obsessed with the accuracy, I'm more obsessed with the questionnaire. 
What are you asking people? Because just having the, the right answer to the wrong question doesn't do you any good. Having a pretty good answer to a real good question is worth a lot. Worth a lot. And and I did these accuracy scores when I was in it and said, well, this and that. And I, I never was, you know, I didn't want somebody like a buffoon that couldn't get in the ballpark. But I was more always more interested in the questions we asked. Yep. Yeah. I think it's critical. It's been a really difficult two years. Uh, who or what has helped you get through these challenging two years? Oh, man. Uh, my friends, yeah, you know, a lot of phone calls, and I, I knew I, I, I had a physical in like early March of 2020, and I said, "Hey, if 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 I get this stuff, I, am I gonna be okay?" And he just said, "He said, try not to get it," and that that told me every I I didn't need any other inspiration. <laughs> 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 I, I got in my car. I have a place in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, you know, friends have really, and being involved in a project, although I, I don't think we were particularly successful, we had a, a, a lot of talented people working on it, and that really, really helped me, uh, it, you know, in the more challenging times. Because the, the, the pandemic is really challenging in pl- places like Louisiana and, uh, you know, early on. Yeah. And uh, I... I thinking staying busy you know calling you know just calling around annoying people complaining and you know i don't like this and it's oh shut up you got what are you sitting there you got all the food you want in the world <laughs> you know uh so i you know it, it made me like focus I, I started focusing on how how little a complaint i had to complain about so i had somebody come over and cook for me and i had somebody clean up after me and so that 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 helped a lot too, and my friends would would not let me, you know, they just tell me to shut up and quit complaining, you know. Oh hell, you're right. I need to shut up and quit complaining. But I was like, I was, I'll tell you what, I was happy to get that vaccine. It have to, didn't have to motivate me at all. Okay. <laughs> and as soon as I saw the the studies in Israel, I said, well, that's it. I'm going to pull this trigger again. So I told I told my physician, I said, look, I didn't want to ask you. Because you would have had to say, well, according, you know, so I just went to that guy and said, well, two things. I'm glad you didn't ask me. And I'm glad you got it. <laughs> well, what's the, but that, 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 that pretty much was it. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, what's the challenge that you think will define the next generation of leaders? How somebody, how you don't lapse into what we've become. How how you how is it that you look at yourself, and I really don't want to be the chief of a tribe. Mm-hmm. I want to be the leader of a country. And it, it, it because everything has become so. It's not that I like my side so much. If 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 so if in nineteen oh nineteen ninety two. So if we would have done a poll and say, okay, uh, 
let's assume you're a Democrat. Just what's your opinion of the Democratic Party on a scale of one to ten? Let's call it some. Well, I don't know, seven point one. What's your opinion of the Republican Party? Well, I don't know some about. Maybe it's three point seven. Okay. It, it the converse is true. All right, it'd be the same true if I asked a Republican the same thing. In both instances, the feeling of people toward their own party is less. So I'm just pulling a number out of the hat. It was that mean was 7.2. The opposition party was 3.7. It would now be 6.1 and 0. .0004. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not that I like mine. I hate these people. And, of course, that ends up to people slugging people on airplanes and supermarkets and all of the nonsense we see now. And that that's the hardest thing to overcome. Do you think there'll be an inflection point that changes that? Or is this this the new normal and it's uh, the, the tribal politics is going to wax and wane, but this is the way things are going to be for a long while? Well, I could give you the answer that you want, or I could give you what I think. I think you should give me what you it, think. It's going to be a while. Yeah. It, it, like, in people, and I know smart people that say, friends of mine, you know, I don't like Trump, James, but you got to admit, you know, he has some good policies. And I'm like, what? If you're like me, and you think inequality in climate are just gut-wrenching, awful problems that are, that are just causing grief across the country like crazy what no <laughs> all right no and yet i live in a place that's literally we're drowning but we're losing land and I, I, i'll tell you a story this is about communications and i would scream at my students and they just look at me and if i ask them a question on the exam they just regurgitate what i said you know, because they all wanted to go to graduate school or law school, and they were mortified they'd get a B. And so I, 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 I called a friend of mine, Sean Wilentz. He was a former chairman of the history department at Princeton. I said, Sean, what is a time in history where people acted against their perceived short-term interests? He said, try the British anti-slave trade movement. And he gave me a book called Buried a Chain, by a guy, he still lives, he lives in Berkeley, named Adam Hoshiel. And I, I started reading it. And what I learned, it just, it, it literally hit me like I'm St. Paul going to Damascus. It just, I said, oh God, the problem is there's no song. There's no, you know what song came out of the British anti-slave trade movement? A minor hymn you might have heard growing up in Arkansas, Amazing Grace. <laughs> Some people think the most famous song in the English language. And climate is the only, only, and I, this is a very important point I want to make to you, to your listeners, is the only major social or political movement for good or ill that uses no emotion. There is no bumper sticker. There is no song. There is no lapel pin. All right? Stanford has the cardinal. They got the pine tree, whatever, whatever the tree is. They got the alma mater, all right? The, even nefarious movements. If I put a Confederate flag on the back of my pickup truck, you know exactly what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm saying. 
right? There's no way that I can communicate with you by symbolism saying we're both mortified by this issue. And why is it? It, it, it's not by tidal tables and temperature charts alone does man live. There has to be, any messaging you have has to have an emotional context. It, it, you just do. It, 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 that's why this is not working. And I, I, I know what, and I tell my friend in New Orleans, we got the most talented people in the world, they're washing out in the Gulf. Somebody give me a song. Okay, I tell my friends in Hollywood, y'all put some people there. Let's try four or five things and focus group it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. I can't even after the rainbow flag. My daughter pointed out that was designed by Harvey Milk before he was assassinated. If somebody has a rainbow flag in their window, they're communicating with you. That's something to tell you. We don't. So I hope people listen to this and know a lot of influential people that they'll think of that. I think the most essential part of communicating is emotion, symbolism. That's really powerful. Do you, do the people involved in uh, the climate change movement do you do you see a, uh, steps towards developing that degree of emotional attachment and symbolism? No. Well, I, I mean, but well, a lot of people, in, in we, you institutions, we, part of being, uh, I don't know, I'll say a Democrat is too, too loose a word, but but part of being educated, you, you, we're all at some level sons of the Enlightenment, where our chief appeal is to reason. All right, that reason is a high form of life. And to most people, reason is insufficient. I I, I was always like doing these, uh, remember this guy, Christoph, that used to do these huge things in public art? You know, I said, why don't we just put a line where the Louisiana coastline is going to be in 50 years from now? (laughs) They've got entire parishes that, that no longer exist because of climate. I mean, look around California. I mean, state's on fire. I mean, it's paradise. Well, so I don't know. But it, 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 there are a lot of people, if you get really talented, creative, smart people thinking about this, you're much more likely to get an answer. But as long as they're like, you know, going on on. I don't mean to pick on NPR, but I mean, as long as they're writing op-ed, writing pieces in the Atlantic, it's got to be any good. I mean, I like to read them. They they generally like Jeffrey Goldberg. It's excellent, you know, actually edited magazine, but they they don't have to convince me. (laughs) Great. Well, that leads us sort of to your field and uh, advising, consulting, working with uh, leaders. What What's new on the horizon for your field in terms of how, how you think about developing young leaders, helping them find their voice, find their way? And um, are you optimistic about your field? And what are your concerns about it? Well, my concerns about it, my chief concern is this. 
is politics has such a bad name. Mm-hmm. I fear that young, talented people will stay away from it. That's my great. That's my great fear, and and that we leave the playing field. And and you can say what you want. You can decry politicians. You can curse them. You can say anything you want. Boy, but what they do is really important. Yep. <laughs> oh, is it important? I mean, they, you know, I'll, I'll, and who else would you have make these decisions for you? In in every way that you can think of a decision. And you know, in my remaining years, what I, I'd like you know, I've taught. I taught three years at Northern Virginia Community College. I taught nine at Tulane and four at LSU. Uh, but I, I, you know, just feel like I, I, I it, you know, young people always say, ah, I don't care about politics. I don't know. It's very kind of fashionable to say that. And, you know, I'm afraid we're just going to be live, turn the country over to bums. And I, I don't know. And, and the thing about my life in politics, uh, man, I've had fun. I mean, geez, I've worked in 22 different countries. I've worked with, I don't think, 14 different heads of state. And uh, you know, not everybody, and I understand that not everybody can be James Carville. I mean, I'm not that stupid. I'm, you know, but to the extent that I can use my life to try to get other talented young people, and, you know, well, I'm going to do that. I could be, be a banker, you know, I could do... Any, you know, there's all kinds of avenues that are open to me. Could be a stockbroker, could be a software engineer, or God knows what. And when you leave the playing field, it, it, it that that's what bothers me. That you know, it, it, it really bothers me, and I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how much of a difference I can make, but I, I, I'm going to try. <laughs> And say, you don't have to wear a hair shirt to do this, okay? It's actually fun. And sure, you're going to lose, but you can't do anything about that. It's got to sure. keep. You got to keep pitching. Absolutely. We we've talked a lot about polarization in the country and sort of tribal politics. Um, you mentioned that vaccination is something we really should try to unify around, it. and in many respects, we are. What are other issues that you see that could unify? segments of our country that are now so divided? Well, they should, one of the things about, let's just take current state of politics, mm-hmm. right? In my time in politics, the idea was, you always wanted politicians to do difficult things, all right? Uh, they had, we had to pass the Panama Canal Treaty. You know, it didn't seem very popular, but thank God we did. It was just, is a matter of public policy. It was just something that we had to do. And, you know, it, everybody, when I grew up, entitlement reform, to be against cutting Social Security and Medicare was like being for segregation. All right? That was just uh, – in, in the Clinton economic plan, we had to put a five-cent-a-gallon tax on gas because no one would take us seriously if we weren't willing to inflict some pain on people. That was – and, and that was – that was not question. I mean, again, that, that was – and it was to the point – where the press was 100% orthodox. Well, what we're asking people to do now is actually pretty easy. Let's let the government negotiate prescription drug prices. Who is against that? Right? You can't do that. Or, or 
you, you know, to me, the 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 thing, and I've conveyed this to the White House. The why we have a labor shortage, we just honestly do, and a lot of the labor shortage is attributable to women staying out of the workforce because they have children or elderly parents at home. Well, why don't we be for this this daycare of which would leave the labor shortage we now know we didn't know for sure the, the research is in it's overwhelming it's certain that children that are in daycare that they have better outcomes they have better health outcomes they have better emotional outcomes they're less likely to commit crimes they're more likely to stay in school and by the way walmart target stanford the university of california system i mean you have a gazillion people that work there that, you know, custodial workers and, and you know, that this is just not just a bunch of like, you know, high end MDs sitting around. You have cafeteria, you got food service, you know, truck drivers. And, the, and this would not only go a long way toward helping alleviate the labor shortage, you're actually going to make money on this. That people will be there, they'll be paying. T- Payroll taxes, Social Security, Medicare taxes, their kids are going to be, you know, more likely to be. That That's one of the things that in, we don't want to sell. Everybody wants to be in public policy. No one wants to be in selling. If you're not willing to sell, then and no one knows what's in the bill. All right, we just know the price tag. Well, it was three point five trillion. Now it's one point seven five trillion. That that's not what. What, what is this getting you? And I, I see these people say, "Well, we lost free community college." My answer is, "You never had it. You never had it. You didn't lose anything. And, and you can't vote on a piece of legislation based on what's not in it. You got to vote on what's in it." And, and some of this stuff, it, it, it's just distressing. And again, I, I, I go to this, you know, universal daycare. Why would anyone be against that? It, it, it helps businesses. It helps employers. It helps everybody. Well, no one knows that. Mm-hmm. It's all we keep it a secret. You know, you're supposed to be for this because it's good. No. Who do you recommend that we read or follow? Uh, I mean, there's certain people. I mean, of course, my end, the political end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Tom Etzel writes a piece every Wednesday in the Times. That's that. That's uh, anything that Ron Brownstein writes is. I find it to be insightful. I mean, there's some some really good, you know, analysts out there. Uh, I, 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 the Bulwark is, uh, I write for them sometimes. They, they, Tim Miller and Bill Crystal and those. It's, you know, there's kind of, they're not Republicans, but never Trump people. I, you know, get get someone that you're really comfortable with. But in the crowd I run in, I, I, I'd say Tom Etzel and, and I, this, is not, this is not to exclude anybody else, but uh, and Ron's always, you know, insightful about his his observations, and that would be two that I'd read. That's and, great. That's great. 
James, thank you very much for for joining me today. Please check out my conversations with other groundbreaking and brilliant guests as we continue to look at leadership during a a once-in-a-generation crisis. Please send your questions by email to theminerconsult at theminerconsult.com and check out our website, theminerconsult.com, for updates, episodes, and more. To get the latest episodes of The Minor Consult, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate the podcast five stars. Your feedback helps make this podcast happen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to our next episode. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and be kind. <music>